0: Hello, and welcome to the Covenant Fellowship Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us. Today's message is here to help you preach the good news everywhere in your day-to-day life. Here at Covenant Fellowship, we accomplish this by encountering God, loving people, and serving others with everything we've got. Now let's dive in.
1: Let's go to John chapter 9. Probably three weeks ago, the Lord really began to deal with me out of this chapter, and I've not been able to move on from it. I encouraged our leadership team, our volunteer team last Sunday with it, and uh, God just moved very heavily just in the encouragement of it. But I just can't move beyond it. And uh, we finished a series last week, and it's been a while since I kind of just did one off sermons. I've been preaching in series quite extensively over the past little while, but this is one that's, I, I call it just a one-off. It's, 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 there's not a series in this. It's just something that is burning like fire in my being that I want to impart to you today. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word in John chapter number 9. John chapter 9. It'll be on the screen for you if you don't have it. If you do, say Amen. All right, all right, all right. I want to encourage you to bring your Bible or your tablet or something and open it and read it with me, if you will. Today's message is called The Wellspring, The Wellspring. In John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7 says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And the disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated, sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. I want you to point your hands this way. I want to pray for you. I'm asking you to pray for me. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak to our lives and change them. Father, we love you. We bless you. We thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the worship. team that just led us into your presence. And thank you that in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures evermore. Thank you, Lord, that you have made this place a habitation today. Thank you that you are here and in this building tangibly by your spirit walking these aisles, searching our hearts, and you want to do a work in us today. And so, Lord, we just call out to you and say, Speak, your servants are listening. God, we want to hear a word from you that will take us from glory to glory because your word is living if you say it it comes to pass if you speak it it's done there's no higher law there's no higher government than the decree of the Lord and so father we thank you that this morning you will decree over our lives the 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 liberty the freedom the sight the hope the healing that we need we love you and we praise you we ask all of these things in the only name that matters Jesus Christ the Lord And everybody said amen. Give your neighbor a high five as you're getting ready to be seated. And let's dive into this a little bit. This has been in my heart for quite some time. I want to take this and pick out a few things from it that I think have been significantly placed upon my heart. This is, uh, this is kind of how I've been looking at this passage of Scripture. The first thing that I want to share with you and point out to you is the fact that when the disciples see this man in a very, very difficult situation, he cannot see, immediately they focus on the problem. Immediately, the focus is on the problem. Now, if you're a mechanic, it's all right. You need to focus on the problem what is going on with this vehicle? Diagnosis is an important thing. I get it. I understand why the reason for a diagnosis. But no one gets into the mechanics or into being a doctor or whatever you do for the sake of just the problem alone. The reason you get involved is because you believe that there is a solution to the problem. You believe that there's a solution, and immediately these disciples start focusing on the problem how many of you know somebody that they're not afraid to point out the problems with your life not afraid to point out the problems in your family not afraid to point out the problems of your life but i listen i know what's wrong i need to know what can be right i need to know What can be the solution? When you focus on the problem, you don't have to deal with the solution. It is very easy to focus on the problem because the problem is right in front of you. The solution has to be grasped from another dimension. It has to be grasped from something beyond you. Some people are problem-focused. They are complainers. They're negative. They're pessimistic. They're accusational. They're judgmental. They're relationally destructive they lack vision they lack drive they lack passion they lack purpose they're stuck in the harvest of their own issues and they don't understand that the way to get past something is not focusing on the problem but focusing on the solution now I don't know I don't know there might be somebody in this congregation that in your life you have never had a problem raise your hand if you've never in your life had a problem. We've all had a problem. We've all dealt with problems and issues in our life. Many of you came in here today, there's some problems that's going on in your life right now. And maybe somebody's told you all about the problems. Maybe they told you that you're the problem. How many of you ever told you you that you're the problem? You're the problem in this marriage. (laughs) You're the problem in this home. You're the problem in this situation. You're the problem on this job. You're the problem in the business. You're the problem... Many people don't sometimes don't care to tell you what the problem is. The problem is, is you're Republican. The problem is, is you're Democrat. The problem is, is you're white. The problem is, is you're black. The problem is, is you're this. The problem is, is you're that. Listen to me, friends. The problem with the whole world is we're focused on the problem. If we could ever be focused on the solution, if we could ever get back to the solution, God's solution to man's entirety of problems is Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? You might not recognize this, but I promise you most of the problems in your and my life, the answer to those problems are Jesus Christ. What would Jesus do? How could Jesus deal with this? What is his plan in this situation? In fact, most of the problems in my life has has been as a result of not following Jesus. Most of the issues of my life was created because I didn't follow the Lord. Can you say amen to that? When I look at this passage of Scripture, his own disciples are ready to start the blame game, blaming somebody, blaming this one and blaming that one, blaming in this situation. They're looking to figure out who created this issue and, and to Notice that if they're looking at that problem, when you get down to the basis of the problem, it's going to lead to the devil. Let me say that again. When you get down to the basis of the problem, it's going to lead to the devil because... The devil sinned from the beginning. So when they're trying to get to the root of the problem, it's ultimately the sin problem which points to the devil problem. And when we become devil-focused, when we become sin-focused, we become devil-focused. And when we become devil-focused, we talk about it, and guess who gets all the glory? The devil gets all the glory. He gets all the glory for the problem. He gets all the glory for the misery. He gets all the glory for the issue in our life. But when we become God-focused, when we become God-focused in a situation, then guess who's getting all the glory? Look, I know the situation hasn't changed yet, but God's going to move on this situation. I know it hasn't all worked out quite right like it needs to yet, but I am trusting in the Lord my God, and he's never failed me, not one time when we become god God focused Jesus even says it he says this issue is not about the sin this is for an opportunity for the glory of God it's an opportunity for God to move listen if you got a problem in your life you got issues in your life let me tell you I got good news for you you are just a good subject for God to move into your situation You're a great subject for God to move on your behalf. How many of you have some problems in this room? Say amen. Maybe you got some health problems. Maybe you got got some family problems. Maybe you got money problems. Maybe you got some emotional problems. Listen, I'm going to sidetrack. Can I run down a bunny trail right here right fast? Because the moment I said emotional problems, I was reading a statistic the other day about teenagers. And I was really curious about it because the statement shocked me. And then I know people can pull stats out of the ceiling, you know, just out of the air. I don't know if these stats are really real or not. But it created for me a sense of, dear God, there needs to be a move of God among our teenagers. Here was the stat. One in five teenagers deal with a psychological or emotional problem. One in five teenagers. And in that stat, it gave a number. I'm not going to give you the number, but the number of teenagers in our American society in the last two years that's attempted suicide or harmed themselves in some way as a result of an emotional or psychological issue. Staggering. Absolutely Staggering. And you say, what do we do with something like that? Just get them to the solution. If we could fill this place with teenagers, I'd be all right with that because I know that God would start moving among them and all of the issues and all of the brokenness and all of the sense of the pain and not belonging and not having a part and what life's all about and what's the future going to hold. All of that would be swallowed up in one touch of the master's hand. One touch of the goodness of the Lord would swallow all of that up. All of a sudden, they don't have to be worried to death about what the future's going to look like. They know who's got the future in the palm of his hand. They don't have to worry Worry about what's my what's what you know what my what my identity is, what my life is all about, he would begin to tell them and help them to understand that you've been fearfully and wonderfully made. And before I formed you in your mama's womb, I had a plan for your life. Listen, I believe a lot of the angst and a lot of the depression. Would get washed away in the touch of Jesus' hand I believe that That's why I want to see teenagers reach reach out and touch God I want us to have a house where teenagers can come in And others can come in and experience God Not just hear about him, experience him You want to know, this is going to be a house that we have an altar call Every service you want to know why? Because you don't need to hear a preacher tell you about God. You need to come and meet him. You need to come and let a touch of God be on you. You need to allow the spirit of God to actually touch your life. You don't need to become smarter about God. You just need to know who He really is. And if you do, I believe it'll change ever to everything. The second thing is, sin is the problem, but it's not the focus. Listen, anybody that's been around me in my ministry long enough knows that I'm a I preach about the holiness of God. And I make no apologies for right living. But I want you to notice something. They want to get into the sin debate. They want to talk about sin, the disciples do. They want to get into that. And when Jesus gives a response, he says, neither have sinned, neither him or his parents. Now, let me ask you a question. Did he mean that literally like this person has never sinned? Absolutely not. There's only one perfect person that's ever walked this planet, and his name is Jesus. Come on, somebody. Even when the Bible says about Job that he was perfect and upright in all of his ways, doesn't mean he was the authentication of perfection. He wasn't the savior of the world. The authentic perfection of God is Jesus Christ. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God as it pertains to human beings. So these people, it wasn't the fact that they had never sinned. It just doesn't become the focus. It doesn't become the focus of the preaching. It doesn't become the focus of everything that we do. It, it, sin is, the, is a problem, but it's not the focus. What is the focus, you might ask? It's redemption. Redemption is the focus. Jesus is not calling his parents perfect or him perfect. Jesus is trying to to redirect the focus, not just of this moment, not just of that historical moment, but for his church all throughout history. Anybody that would open the book of John and begin to read after that point, his heart was not to say, I came into this world to make sure the world was condemned. He said, no, I didn't come to the world that I might condemn the world, but that I would save the world. How many are glad that God didn't condemn you, but he saved you? Hey, he convicted us all, but he didn't condemn us for what he convicted us of. He convicted us. In other words, conviction means if you are a convict, it means that you have been convicted of a crime. Conviction came on you and me because we were convicted Convicted of a crime But instead of going into a prison God says, "Uh uh-uh, I have redemption Oh, praise the Lord I got redemption in mind I'm going to allow somebody else to pay a price for you So that you can go free Come on, somebody How many know that's good news? Conviction might come upon you Conviction might come upon you But he's not here to condemn you Sin is a problem, but Jesus is the solution. The anointing, the power of God, the blood of Jesus is the answer to the situation. When I'm reading John chapter 9 and I'm looking at this miracle of this boy's, this man's eyes who was blind for multiple years, the Bible says from his birth, the disciples want to get into the, the sin situation and Jesus wants to get into the redemption situation. Some of you in this room, Jesus is trying to get involved in your life in a redemptive fashion. Redemption. You know what the word redemption means? To buy back, to pay a ransom for. He wants to ransom you, He wants to buy you back. Well, I don't believe I'm worth anything. Oh, friend. I'm not worth anything. You don't know the mistakes I've made. You're right, I don't. But he knows every single one of them, and he was willing to pay the price for you. Somehow he looked at your life, and he looked at the life of Jesus, this life of absolute perfection, this life of absolute obedience to the will of God, and says, I value Kevin Jones. I'm gonna sacrifice this one. I value Brenda Hawkins. I value Candace Bays. I value Sharman Booker. I va- God values your friend. To devalue yourself is to, to, to smirk in the face of God. God looked at you and He said, You're valuable. You're so valuable that I am willing to pay a price, a price that no other human being could ever pay for you, a price that no one ever could ever pay for you. God paid it for you. He said, you want to focus on all your mistakes? I want to focus on why why I bought you and paid for you. You want to focus on your imperfections, I want to focus on my perfection that I'm superimposing over your life. It's called substitutionary death. It's called substitute. God says, I'm going to substitute something for you. You were bad, but I'm going to substitute your badness for his goodness. I'm going to take your unrighteousness and I'm going to give him give you his righteousness. I'm going to take your unrighteousness I'm going to put it on him And he's going to get up on a cross And he's going to pay a price with blood He's going to shed blood But then he's going to take those sins And the Bible says he's going to walk down Kick open the gates of brass And I, I could see Jesus making an entrance into hell I could see him kicking open the gates I bet the devil's like What in the world was that? Jesus saying I'm here And I'm here on behalf of everybody Who put their faith in me And I want to make a deposit Right here, where all the rest of the junk is, all of their sin, all their mistakes, I'm going to put it right here, and I'm going to leave it right here because sin is judged, and I paid the penalty for it. And oh, listen, I'm not going to preach this part, but I love the. I, I, oh, by the way, because I can see the enemy with a set of keys in his hand, a set of keys in his hand, the keys of death and of hell. I can see him with the, the, the keys of authority that long ago in the garden Adam forfeited and said, man, sin, and I've got the key to the eternity of his life. But the Bible says that Jesus took the keys from his hand. Some of y'all don't even know what that means, but he took those keys to his hand. He, from his hand. He raised from the dead, and when he raised from the dead, he went and paid Peter, the one who had made a mistake before, a little visit. And when he paid Peter a visit, he put keys back. He said, behold, I give to you the keys of the kingdom. I'm, I'm giving it right back to you. Adam forsook it a long time ago, and man has been doomed ever since, and sin has been the problem. But I want you to focus on redemption. I want you to focus on the solution. I want you to have your authority back. I want you to have your power back. I want you to have your life back. I want you to have your purpose back. So here it is. Yeah, come on, somebody give him praise. Yeah, he gave it. He gave it back. The third thing that I see in this, Jesus makes an odd statement. He makes an odd statement in the middle of this passage of Scripture when they're questioning all the sin stuff. He makes the oddest statement about working while it's day because the night comes when no man can work. And to me, that's an odd place to put that passage of Scripture unless you dive into what he's really saying. It's almost like he's reinforcing the, to the church and to his disciples, you want to talk about sin, you want to talk about failure, I haven't got time for this kind of debate. I've got to redeem as many as I can because the days are shortening The time is drawing. I have got to do, I've got to stay focused. I've never seen a time when the church gets so distracted. We want to invest ourselves in every little thing fight that we possibly can we want to get distracted by so many things the next thing that comes out you'll find that the church gets lost in the problems with society and I'm not saying that we're not supposed to have a voice in society but we've lost our voice in society because we lost our focus in the solution so therefore we make everybody enemies you don't believe what I believe you're an enemy You don't do like I do. You're an enemy. And we make people enemies. And we forget that Jesus died for them just like he did you. Come on, somebody. You didn't believe like you did before you found out who he was. I didn't believe like I believed until I found out who he was. And when I found out who he was, he fixed my belief system. And begin to sell them and anchor them in him and who he, who he is. God is in a hurry to make a difference now. He don't have time to get lost in the conversations and the debate about the cause and effect issue. He wants to be about solving the problems. He wants to be about the father's business. We as a church have to be about solutions Not just about problems. We can bring up problems day after day. There's enough problems to go around. The question is, is what is the solution? How does the church carry the solution? We don't just carry the message, but we should carry the power. We should carry the anointing. We should carry tangible answers. We are not here to slow down in the problems of society. We're here to show forth the answer to society. We're supposed to be a people of power. A people where the glory of God is manifesting. Friends, the church should be a place where people get healed, a place where people get freed, a place where people get transformed, a place where people get renewed. Not a place to gossip, not a place to just hang out, not a place to just belong, not a place just to have membership to. This is supposed to be a place where God's tangible spirit is among us. And God's in a hurry. Let me say that again. God's in a hurry. You know what that ought to say to you and me? As people that love God, we we need to get serious about God. We we need to get serious about our mission. We need to get serious about our calling. We need to get serious about what God's purpose is through our life. Not just another week of gathering. Not just another week of going to church. But a, a week of purpose. This morning with our Volunteer team, we meet every Sunday at 9 o'clock for prayer, to pray for you, every person that attends, for our online family. we, We meet to pray. And this morning, I offered them an encouragement from Psalm 85. And Psalm 85 is the statement in the Scripture, will you not revive us again, O Lord? It's a statement about revival. And that statement about revival is powerful in the Psalm that it is Mention in because this psalm has to deal written in a time when the nation of Israel had been released from Babylonian captivity. And and the psalmist is saying, Will you not revive us again? We're delivered, but we're not revived. There's a difference between just being delivered and being revived as a result of your deliverance. There's plenty of people that have been delivered. You've been delivered of your sin. You've been delivered of your past. But have you been touched of God enough to be revived? And the word revival there is very different than the many places in the Scripture where the word revival means to stand up again. Revival means to stand up again. But this Scripture doesn't necessarily, this word revival here doesn't just necessarily mean to stand up again. It means to stand up in a God divine purpose For your life, and I encourage the people this morning that you're here serving God in His divine purpose for your life, but it's not just a divine purpose for your life, it's a divine purpose for your life with an anointing to do that divine purpose. With an anointing to do that divine purpose, an anointing the Bible talks about the anointing, this mysterious. Thing, this aura that comes from God, that, that anointing, the Bible says, that, that anointing would destroy the yoke. That anointing. And Isaiah, he talks about the anointing. And in that day, the yoke shall be removed from their neck and the burden lifted because of the anointing. The yoke destroyed the burden lifted because of the anointing. Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name, It is a word that means anointed. Jesus anointed. Yeshua anointed. When he comes back from his temptation in the wilderness, he comes back. He goes to a synagogue. When he's in the synagogue, they reach to him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And he reads from the prophet Isaiah and he talks about that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring freedom to the captive, the recovery of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who have been in bondage, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he reads that passage of scripture, closes the scroll and says, today this is fulfilled in your ears. In other words, the anointing is here. The yoke-destroying, burden-lifting anointing is here, and one, Psalm one hundred and thirty-three teaches us about the way the anointing works. The Bible talks about how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, and when He talks about that unity, He says it's like this: it's like the oil that flowed from the priest, high priest Aaron, down his beard to his body. Talks about the dew of Herman, and He says. There the Lord commends the blessing, even life evermore. But it's a lesson on the flow and the work of the anointing. The anointing flows from, and he calls Aaron. You know who Aaron is? The high priest. You know who what Hebrews says about you and me? That we have a high priest. Yeah, we have a high priest. You know who it is? It's Jesus. You know what he's doing? He's at the throne, ever interceding for you and me. But you know what the story about Psalm 133 shares with us? is that the oil flows from the head to the body. How many of you are part of the body of Christ? Let me see your hand. Let me tell you what's flowing down from the head and cloaking you right now. It's called the anointing. Let me tell you what the anointing does, friend. It destroys the yoke. It undoes the heavy burden. It sets the liberty of those who are captive it's the anointing I'm having a better time preaching than you are shouting you need to tune your shouter up number four I want to talk about the anointing for just a second the word anoint means to smear that's a real spiritual right smear like we used to can I tell a bad bad story on myself no, I better not tell that story. I'm going to move on. It's a bad story. It's my pre-Jesus days and something we done to my baby brother. Anyway, ask me after church and I'll tell you. I'm not going to tell that here. This is terrible. I don't want to give any siblings here any ideas. The word anointing means to smear. And it's interesting how, the word, how it worked out in the way that he smeared. The Bible says he spit. He made saliva. He took saliva. That almost seems nasty unless you get the spiritual implication of the power of what is happening. Because where do you get spit? From the mouth. Jesus is fully man, but he's also fully God. God cause when something comes from the mouth of God the moment it touches dirt Did you forget that you was made from the dust of the ground When something comes from the mouth of God and touches dirt it can get smeared over something that once is blind but now can see Dear God you're missing an opportunity to just say, "Who that's powerful. Let me tell you something. When God, when what proceeds from the mouth of God, what proceeds from the mouth of God? His word. You know, right now while I'm preaching to you, these lights are on. And let me tell you what I see every day few seconds while I'm talking. Y'all gonna think this is gross. Don't pick up this microphone but while I'm speaking, I'm trying to put all my passion in this and when I say my P's and my B's and all that sort of stuff, there's this little mist that I see kind of going through these lights right here. I can't see you sometimes because the spit that's coming out. If you're on the front row, we took a front row out because these people were tired of getting anointed. <laughs> no, we made, more, we made more altar room. Amen. But, but, but this spit that comes, what comes from the mouth of God? Let me tell you something. What else comes from the mouth of God? It's not just when certain pronunciations with B. In fact, of course, if you're Hebrew, you would just be doing a whole lot of I don't know what I just said. It wasn't in tongues. So don't pray for an interpretation. But what you might would notice is that every time you actually talk, if the weather was cold enough in this room, you might recognize that every word you say has a mist that comes from it. I don't have time to teach to you about the fullness of the mist of God, but what the point I'm trying to make is what comes from the mouth of God is intended to land in clay that then becomes anointed for a purpose. Some of you are getting a word from God this morning, and because you're receiving the word, there's an anointing falling on you because that word is touching some clay. Others of you that's not paying any attention, others of you that are distracted, others of you, you're missing an opportunity. You need to let, you need to let the word of God land in you so that then it can become anointed and then be smeared, smeared. Smeared. The path to healing comes from the mouth of God, not from the mouth of culture. You're not from your seemingly smart professor, not from your favorite preacher, not from politicians, not from science. Listen, did you realize that science even struggles with defining itself? It doesn't know if it's natural or theoretical. There's a huge debate even in science itself of whether science is natural meaning observable can be repeated can happen over and over again and some people believe that but you know what you do to kind of dispel that argument okay you know all the components of blood put all the components together make blood and put it in somebody's body and let them live instead of having to take it out of somebody else's body and give it to them when there's a tragedy well I can't do that we don't have synthetic blood we've tried it 10 million times and it won't sustain life. You know where you get when you get to the end of the fact that you can have all the knowledge to create blood, but the reason it won't work is because blood comes from God. You get to the God factor. You get to the God factor. Well, let's get around that. Let's get around. Let's, let's, let's see if we're naturalists or if we're theorist. If we're theorists, if we're theorists. Yeah, the problem with that is every theory that science has come up with through a process of study, never lands on anything concrete. Even the very man that came up with the theory of evolution before his dying day talked about the fact, the reason that the thing that drove him to study the ideas that he studied was because he resisted the thought of God. So he went to the Galapagos, and he found out the parrots had different beaks and all the stuff there, and so he theorized that man evolved. The problem is this. If you keep theorizing, if you keep theorizing, if you keep theorizing, and you take it all the way back, you still get to the cause and effect issue. What caused the first effect? The Big Bang Theory. Okay, what caused the bang? You can theorize all you want to. And then science sits back and then scratches its head. There's a movement going on in science right now, friends. Did you know that in science right now, while many of you think that scientists are all atheists and agnostics, there's a movement going on in the scientific world right now that more and more scientists are becoming believers. (laughs) Did you know the great Galileo was a believer in God? Did you know Isaac Newton Believed in God? Did you know Albert Einstein believed in God? Did you know Sir Francis Bacon believed in God? What is the point, friends? Here's the point. You need what comes from the mouth of God more than you need what comes from any other mouth on the planet. Is this helping anybody? I got to hurry. Here's the fifth thing that just blows my mind about this passage of scripture. How many know that Jesus could have just taken that spit? That would have been enough, but he didn't say that. He said, I want you to go wash in the pool of Siloam. I want you to go wash in this pool. I have a theory about part of that. I think the disciples thought, yeah, he's gonna just lay hands on him. Well, no, he didn't lay hands on him, so he's just gonna put spit on him. He's gonna be, hit. no, he didn't do that. So Jesus keep putting out these things there that is, that's happening. But it's a powerful, powerful thing. The word here of the pool, Siloam, it means sending. In fact, you read that in your scripture if you have a newer translation. It talks about this word that's being translated as sent or sending. Sorry about that. One of my beard hairs got in there and I was sticking it in my mouth. Means sending to get the power of this statement you have to go get the revelation of what is happening here he chose a very specific place to wash what is the significance of this place it has been been identified with the Burkett salwan in the lower typharin valley which is just southeast of the hill of zion The water which flows into this pool intermittently by a subterranean channel springs from a fountain called the Fountain of the Virgin. We're going to go somewhere with this. The Fountain of the Virgin. Listen, the length of this channel, it has several windings, but it's 1,750 feet long. The width of this channel, excuse me, the length of the channel, 1,750, through, if it were a direct distance, it would still be 1,100 feet long. The pool which it plunges into is 53 feet in length, north to south. It's 18 feet wide, and it's 19 feet deep. The water passes from it by a channel that comes through a rock garden. And it's powerful. This this whole imagery is powerful. Here's the reason why. Do you all remember a few weeks ago when I was talking about Sennacherib who was invading uh, Judah during the days of Hezekiah about 700 B.C.? And when Sennacherib was going to invade the nation of Judah and overthrow it, Hezekiah knew it was happening and it was going to happen and he saw the battle plan of how Sennacherib had gone about conquering other cities by stopping up the water supply so that the people, all they would have to do is wait outside of the city walls and when the people got thirsty enough, they would come outside of the city and just kill them. And you get stories where people... Knowing this was happening in the northern tribes as they were were succumbing to this here, what was happening? Some of these people were drinking their own urine. They were trying to come up with ways, but Hezekiah decided, I'm going to dig a tunnel. And he went to a source. The source that he went to was the source... Of the fountain of the virgin, and he dug till he could get down where the spring was coming from, and dug. And how he dug it was interesting. People have studied this channel for years because it's told in great detail how he done it. He sent a group out that would dig from the source. But he also started with a group that dug from the need. And they met in the middle and created a flow that would go from the source to the need underground undetected by the enemy that would ultimately be in a pool that was 58 by 18 by 19 feet deep where the city would have a continual supply (laughs) Of water. So there's a flow that comes from the virgin's well that happened as a result of a digging. And the Lord says, I want you, I know I anointed you here with this word, but you still need a source of water. Because how many of you know it's not just word only, it's the word and the water. How many of you know it's the word and the spirit? How many of you know the spirit is in you like a well of living water springing up into everlasting life? God said, "I want this man to go wash in the water, and if he'll go wash in the water, the Bible says that he went away, but he came back, what? He came back seeing. He came back seeing. I came by to tell this church that if we could be a church that taps into the source from the need, I tell you from the source, God has already dug a tunnel from heaven. It was a tunnel dug Not everybody can see it Not everybody gets it Not everybody believes it But there was a source God dug from heaven's source Dug through the cross Dug through the empty grave Dug through the tomb Dug through the resurrection Dug through time to get to man It's now our responsibility To dig through our issues And dig through the troubles of the day And dig through the mess of this time Dig through the haters Dig through the naysayers Dig through the compromise Dig through your friends Dig past anything that you need to dig past But you gotta connect with the source And if you do, God will make a wellspring Where everybody can have life Where the blind can see Where the broken can be restored Oh God, if we could just be a wellspring of God's goodness Rather than just a modern 21st century American church Where people gather and eat chicken every now and then At potluck time But if we could be a place where the glory of God dwells If we could be a place where miracles signs, and wonders If we could be a place where the broken get restored If we could just be a place where the power of God is flowing I tell you there is isn't. God says I need somebody That may be hearing the word that comes from my mouth And I'm touching the clay But I still need a place I still need a place that knows How to tap into something The word virgin means that which is pure I need a church that knows How to tap into something pure I need a church that knows how to tap Into something real I need a church that knows how to be a wellspring Tapping into that which is pure And allowing the pool To fill up I want you to stand With me this morning I'm preaching my guts out Heaven has been digging towards you, friend. God's been digging. He's been digging through the lies. He's been digging through your pain. He's been digging through your life just to get to you and say, I got a well for you. I got something for you to dip in. His word has been landing on your heart this morning. And the anointing from his word has been touching this clay called you. The Bible says that we have a treasure in jars of clay. God has been touching. You are made from the dust of the ground. And God breathed into that dust and became a living soul. God breathed into that dust and the vapor of his, of his word, of his breath. Touched humanity and made him live. God says, I'm still breathing into you. Are you in the right place today? I believe you are. You're in a church that loves the purity of the things of God. This will be a church of no compromise. If you don't like straight preaching, this church is not for you. If you don't like the truth, this church is not for you. But I'll remind you it's only the truth that can make you free. If you don't like holiness, this church is not for you. If you don't like the power of God, this church is not for you. If you don't love Jesus, this church is not for you. If you don't love the things of God, this church is not for you. If you don't like miracle, signs, and wonders, this church is not for you. If you don't like the power of God and the Holy Ghost, this church is not for you. If you don't like the fullness of the things of God, this church is not for you. If you don't like God's design for family, this church is not for you. If you don't like the power of God, this this church is not for you, but if you love that stuff, that's what we're all about. We're trying to tap into a source so that the pool of his goodness and the pool of his refreshing can touch a life that is hurting and broken. Psalm 107, verses 35 through 38 says, he turns a wilderness into pools of water and a dry land into a wellspring. There he makes the hungry dwell. Do you hear the spiritual behind that? There he makes the hungry dwell. Friend, you can try to every church growth tactic that you want. But the only way the authentic church of the Lord grows is where his presence, where a wellspring really is. There he makes the hungry dwell. They establish a, they establish a city for the dwelling place. Doesn't mean that j- just the hungry comes and gets food. The, Bi- the Bible says they establish a city. In a city, there's structure, there's order, there's, there's, there's infrastructure, there's operation, there's the way things work. He said, and sow fields and plant vineyards that they may yield a fruitful harvest. He also blesses them, and they multiply greatly. And in an aggregate society, put that back up there, that last portion. In an aggregate society, they multiply greatly, and He does not let their cattle decrease. In an aggregate society, those cattle are your livelihood. They're your food. They're your trade. They're your value system. The value system of an ancient society was based upon their herds and their flocks. In a modern society, you could substitute cattle almost for anything that it takes for your livelihood. What does it take for your livelihood? God says... When you make a wellspring, when you come after me, right there is where I start this process. There's where I make this happen. Oh, that we would be a wellspring church. 58 feet wide. The The number five is the number of grace in the Bible. Number eight is the number of new beginnings.
0: And that wraps up this episode of the Covenant Fellowship Podcast. For more information about who we are, please visit us at cfbristol.com or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope that you have a blessed day. And as always, just like we find in Isaiah 60, verse 1, We hope you arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you.